When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. Good afternoon. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm David Hoff from the Mullion Haw Show and 670 The Score. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears. We are closing in on two weeks before the NFL draft. The Bears have the number nine pick as we speak, unless they decide to trade again. Dan, a lot of conversation, a couple moves in, in the NFL that are worth uh, talking about couple visits to Hallis Hall that are worth discussing as well. Overall, the mindset and the mentality the Bears are taking into this draft is the most interesting thing right now for Ryan Poles and company. Where do you want to start? Yeah, wherever you want to start. I think we are kind of in that that home stretch here, at least as it pertains to what they're doing at Hallis Hall and, and, and trying to get some cement to settle on their draft board, right? And so that you go in to night one, night two, day three of the draft with an understanding of where everybody is on your board and, and how you can successfully navigate it. I would imagine here in the, the, the coming days and weeks, you're going to have the, the mock drafts inside of Hallis Hall, the ones that matter, you know, of them kind of going through scenarios and situations and, and being ready to pivot and, and, and getting themselves ready for every possible scenario that they could face, not only with pick number nine, but again, they're going to be picking, you know, with some premium picks on day two. And then with the first pick on day three, if they stay where they are right now, so there's a lot to get done and, and a lot of scenarios to go through internally. So let's talk about the visit over the weekend, Sunday and Monday, reportedly Nolan Smith from Georgia, the edge rusher, the second rated, highest rated edge rusher in the draft behind Will Anderson by most draft boards, by many uh, evaluators, visited Hallis Hall. He's from Georgia. It seems like everybody the Bears are either interested in or drafted from Georgia. They have a, a pipeline straight from a shuttle, the Lake Forest to Athens shuttle back and forth. Nolan Smith's a very interesting prospect. 4.39 in the 40-yard dash, explosive as they come, productive in college. He does have the high character that the Bears seek in high draft picks. Dan, I don't know, though, where he ranks in terms of prospects that I would, you know, 
automatically think, okay, I can see where they're coming from. I have to be honest. I have a few reservations when it comes to, well, the Bears, if they go to the podium and, and Roger Goodell announces with the ninth pick, they pick Nolan Smith, I would understand what they see in him as a player. I just don't know if it would address what they need to address at this moment. Well, here's what you have to wrap your brains around as it relates to Nolan Smith. Six foot two, 238 pounds. And so what you see is a guy with the, the skill set and the size to be an ideal fit as an edge rusher in a 3-4 system. We all know that Matt Eberflus runs a 4-3 system and spent much of March getting his free agency shopping done to get off the ball linebackers, which a lot of people think that if, if Nolan Smith were to join a four, three system, he is better suited to be an off the ball linebacker that you kind of play around with and use as a chess piece. And so um, fit is a huge question mark that the bears would have to explain if that's a decision they were to make. Now I've had other people in the league tell me, look, like you just get rid of, the three, four, four, three discussion when you're talking about prospects at this point and say, what can this guy do at an elite level? What can this guy do that potentially makes him a star in the NFL? And if you are sold that he has star qualities, well, then you figure out how to kind of reconfigure and set up roles and set up niches and do some things defensively that bring out the skills and the player that you draft. It's a fascinating discussion because to your point, the talent is there. The speed is, is elite. There's juice to this guy, both in terms of the athleticism he brings and in terms of the energy that he creates for teammates. Now you just have to figure out if it makes sense for you with what you are trying to do. I can't quite get my brain wrapped around it because of what we just talked about in terms of that, that three, four, four, three fit. But there are people that know a lot more about the game and get paid a lot more money to make those decisions than me at Hellas Hall. And so I'd be curious to know kind of how they're uh, sifting through this. Well, when I was talking this through with somebody who kind of evaluates players for a living, it was pointed out to me not to forget one thing about the Bears, where they are in this build or rebuild or however you want to describe it. And it was that, hey, remember, you're looking at this and he's talking about you guys being the media. You guys are looking at this as the 2023 draft, the first pick, the ninth overall selection. Yeah. Whereas I think if you are in a front office, you're trained to kind of look at things in bigger windows and maybe maybe more of a macro type approach. And the, the point was made to me is like, don't forget the Bears have two first round draft picks in 2024. And so you will you go into this draft wanting to address all of your most pressing needs, but knowing that that's that's probably unrealistic. So if you have somebody like a Nolan Smith is in this example that you could envision being a really high caliber pro bowl level type of player down the road then you take him and you figure it out and it was also that point was driven home by not only with the nolan smith example because that was the context of the question that i asked but it was like he brought up Bijan robinson and what we talked about in the last pod as far as don't think of this just in the prism yeah. of this draft you remember the bears have you know, accumulated some high picks in the next draft. So that's also to be considered. No question about it. I, I, and, and look like I, I am a hundred percent on the bus that says, if you see a player that you are convinced can be a star, you don't find reasons to kick him off the bus, right? Like you bring them to wherever you're going and you say, we're going to figure this out as we go. I've got an extension of the discussion that you just had about, you know, seeing more than just Thursday night of this draft when you're seeing the big picture of the Chicago Bears in a minute. But as it relates to Nolan Smith, you hear comparisons to Hassan Reddick, who was a very similar size 
coming out of college who had a very similar skill set. Oh, by the way, this past season, Hassan Reddick had his big breakthrough and was a Pro Bowl pass rusher, defensive weapon, who I think finished second in the NFL in sacks for a team that played for the Super Bowl, right? And so <laughs> you're not in a position to turn down that caliber of talent, that caliber of athlete. The question is, is when you have a whole bunch of guys on a cloud, on a shelf, what did uh, what is Paul saying? Is he using tiers or clouds or shelves? I can't remember where we were with him. Buckets. I think he was a bucket guy, right? He's a bucket guy. So, so if you're in the bucket, I, I don't like and, buckets. Buckets, and, like, yes, yeah, it look awkward. Too too deep for you to dig into that bucket. But anyway, deep, yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have multiple selections in in that in that range, and now you just got to figure out what makes the most sense for you. Um, look, I think there's gonna be a almost. We could probably do an entire episode the first week of May about the guys the Bears passed on. You know, the, the Monday episode is who did they draft? And then the Tuesday episode is who did they pass on? Because particularly at the top of the draft, those conversations are going to be fascinating because you always have to play that game of what might have been and what could be up the road and figure out why decisions were made. Because once you understand the philosophy of why decisions are made, then you have a better lens with which to judge the evaluators who are making the decisions. And see, th- I look at it this way too, is that I, I keep finding in the case of Nolan Smith, another player that to, in my mind again this is this is our podcast these are just our opinions in my mind disqualifies probably Jalen Carter because you look at all of the things that you look at in, in wanting to draft for for the Bears and Ryan Poles specifically this year is that if you have the option of getting a, a surer thing there's no such thing as a sure thing in the draft but a surer thing then I think that you probably are more inclined to take that prospect. And now you, if Nolan Smith falls into that category, as I think he does, you've got another guy that I think is more of a surer thing than Jalen Carter, who has the risk-reward calculus is very difficult to for me to balance out. So you've got B. John Robinson, and you've got Nolan mm-hmm. Smith, yeah. and you've got three offensive tackles. Yeah, and, and the only guys that I put in the kind of sketchy category where I have questions would be Tyree Wilson because doesn't he have like surgery and had an ankle with some uh, screw in his? I don't want to pass bad information, but doesn't he have health issues associated with his ankle? And Jalen Carter, who has the obvious concerns that we've documented. Yeah, and that's one of those things that Ryan Poles is going to have to find comfort in as he gets closer to draft weekend is is figuring out how. Um, I guess, wedded to the surest things he is. (laughs) You know, you can see ceiling, you can see potential, you can see star potential in a a certain player, but you have trouble laying your head down at night leading up to the draft, wondering what happens if he, if he completely fails on us, what if if he busts out and how much does that set our rebuild back? I think you and I are both in agreement that, and it's the reason we spent so much time on the B. John Robinson discussion Sure, things are are really nice to have. Star players are really nice to have when you're a 14 loss football team with not a lot of sure things or star players. Um, so that's that's part of the the conversation that has to be had at Alice Hall. It's something that that Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham and to some extent Kevin Warren have to be the the leaders of. And then they've got to get themselves ready to go into draft weekend with 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 a firm. Uh, impression on all of these guys so that th- they don't get caught up in the moment and and make a hasty decision. Anybody who's played fantasy football understands how in, in the moment with the clock ticking, you can sometimes get rash and do something that you didn't want to do. Also, because it's in line with the way maybe the Bears have 
uh, approached free agency and then what they did in the, when they did move down from one to nine and what they, how, how they approached it. He went out in free agency, and even though it wasn't a position of need, they got sure things in their minds in, in Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards. They were sure things at positions where they felt like they were as pressing needs as up front, but they got them because they wanted to be able to rely on something. They win the trade and they got DJ Moore after trading for Chase Claypool. Obviously, everybody understands why, but when you can get a sure thing that is, you know, more predictable, I think you're more inclined to want to do that. You want to create a roster a depth chart that has as few question marks as possible. Even when you have players who you think are high potential, you don't want to have those be, have high risk as well. So I don't know. It's something I thought about as we're starting to look into what to expect from Ryan Poles. I think what you just described was a general manager that you want to approach on April 27th. You want to approach <laughs> that day with conviction. You want him to be somebody who like, there I say it. I mean, every general manager, you want to be, have a sense of conviction when mm -hmm. you draft him, Ryan Pace had it when he traded for Mitch Trubisky. Didn't work out, but he was hell bent on getting a quarterback <laughs> on that night. And I think that similarly, maybe not as recklessly, but I think similarly, you want the same kind of approach from Ryan Poles because he hasn't ruined his reputation yet. He hasn't made the trade that he'll never outgrow. So I think that's what you're looking for. Well, to that end, the player that he selects as the number nine overall pick will become part of the resume, a huge part. It'll be the first first round pick that Ryan Poles makes as an NFL general manager. It will be a, right. a statement of which direction his report card is going to go. Obviously, we know it takes a couple of years to make firm judgments on those types of things, but you want to look back on that pick and say that was a catalyst and not something that that set uh, you know sent us sideways a little bit and so the the mission to create sturdiness is ongoing and it's something that they have to do now i i'll bring this up now because i think it is an extension of what you talked about earlier because this has been mentioned to me in a, a couple different forums as well hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track join me every week for multiple episodes on the brett boone podcast available on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And I had a conversation that we will play next week with NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah about a number of Bears topics. And one of them was what you just mentioned, the idea that there has been a firm acknowledgement inside the building at House Hall that this is going to take multiple drafts, perhaps three or four of them to get this thing back right because of where the Bears are coming from as a 14-loss team with a, with a roster that's completely blown up. And when you zoom out, you know we're, we're conditioned to look at it. All we see is mock drafts of the top 10, mock drafts of the first round, and think that that's the be-all, end-all. Well, now you're talking about, okay, how do we assemble um, you know, three or four? And I asked Daniel Jer Jeremiah specifically, with that internal acknowledgement, what do you do inside a building to reset 
expectations and 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 kind of establish a bullseye so you don't get caught up in the pressure to fix everything now 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 and think that that you know every single selection you make has to be the be all end all what he said to me was fascinating and and the conversation was um, almost along the lines of big goal, little goal. And if the big goal is to ultimately become a championship contender, the, the little goal is to try and figure out what 2023 is all about. 2023, by all estimations, is about getting a fair and comprehensive evaluation on Justin Fields so that when we get into February of 2024, we have a better understanding on whether the Bears should stay the course at that position. So in a nutshell, what Daniel Jeremiah said is, Ryan Poles should be hell bent on addressing the offense that in some ways you, you treat 2023 as an offensive and quarterback evaluation year more than you treat it as a team evaluation year. And as tricky as that gets, and I know you'll have some thoughts on that in a minute, you have a, a, uh, a mission here to, to figure out who Justin Fields is. And so to that point, establish the no excuses to or get him as many offensive gifts in this draft as you can linemen, pass catchers, running backs, whatever it may be, and then get that full evaluation so that when we get to this time next year, you know exactly where, um, you know, your GPS is set. I might respectfully disagree if I were having that conversation with a Daniel Jeremiah. And I also would offer that because of what happened in 2022, I thought what you just described is what we just experienced. Wasn't 2022 to find out what you have in Justin Fields? Yes. They believe that they have a quarterback that they weren't going to back away from or else this draft would be treated entirely different. We wouldn't be talking about the number nine pick. They'd be keeping the number one pick and they'd be going after Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whoever, or, the, or Will Levis, the guy who eats bananas with the peel on him and has coffee with mayonnaise, by the way. That should drop him and eliminate him from many draft boards. But I think that that was what I thought last season was all about, was figuring out what you had a quarterback. Here's, I would argue, I mean. Here's how I distinguish that, and then and then I'll get your thoughts on it. Because it is an interesting topic of conversation. For me, 2022 was figuring out, does Justin Fields have the potential to be your forever quarterback? I think you answered that with a yes. 2023 is about answering the question, is Justin Fields your forever quarterback? Potential goes out the window, and you have to see things from him as a passer, as a, as a playmaker, as a guy who can run an offense at, at a high level consistently every single week uh, to make opposing defenses okay. scared okay. that that keeps you on that course, you know, because because there is a possibility right now that we get to the end of 2023 and say, Justin, isn't the end? Possibly, possibly. But at some point in time, and, and maybe this can be a public service, but like at some point in time, I, I hope that people remember that evaluating quarter, a quarterback and what he means to your franchise, you can't totally neglect the defense. You cannot totally neglect no. one side of the ball and expect to to concentrate fully on the on the offense in the draft because you need to get everything out of this quarterback that may or may not be the answer. I think you've committed to him enough. You know, you get if you get your first round offensive tackle, great. Or if you get an offensive tackle, that's it. At some point in time, you've got to devote some resources to a defense or else you're going to get you're not going to be able to stop anybody and get your quarterback put him in a position to play complimentary football at all because it's a myth in Chicago complimentary football nobody cares about the defense anymore all everyone cares about if we go through another season where everything is about making the quarterback look good and getting him his weapons and an offensive line I get it we're they've done that now they're doing that now you got to get somebody who's going to stop somebody or else you're going to be 
really in that hole for a long, long time. Well, just to be fair to what Daniel Jeremiah was saying, I don't think he was saying totally neglect the defense and use all 10 draft picks on offensive players or, you know, devote your entire bin of resources to your offense. It's just make that the priority. Yeah, make, I don't, I don't make, make, make him. I just make, Yeah, no, I, I, cause I, I, but I do think it's a valuable discussion to have because, it, you know, it, it does set up for the possibility of, of you know, make sure that, that you're not getting swept away with the idea of we have to compete at a high level in 2023 because it's not realistic from where they're coming from and so if you if you take those baby steps and you say well 2023 we have to show that we can play offense at a higher level with a quarterback that we think has the chance to break through and become a guy that we pay 250 million dollars in the not too distant future well then you set things up so that that evaluation and that uh springboard can be established for him and if he hits the springboard and still falls on his face then you say okay we've got to move in a different direction i think it's not necessarily the you know the be all end all to how you make decisions but it does provide a compass in certain situations where if you are kind of torn, well, I don't know if we want to go player A, player B, player C here. Okay. When in doubt, steer towards whatever is going to give you the best possible chance of evaluating Justin Fields at the deepest level. And then, you know, you make the decisions that are no brainers. If, 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 if in, you know, round two at, at pick 53, you know, it, it's clearly a defensive player, a hundred percent, you take that guy and, and, and you don't look back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's going to be uh, – I, I just think that that's going to be your fail-safe. You're going to maybe – offense and you want to lean that way. Okay. I guess I just want to – they're going to be able to go to the uh, – draft the podium on draft night and defend anybody they pick. Of course. Because they have so many needs. And I just don't want them to be totally you know, deflated as a fan base or people to be like so disappointed – if they pick a defensive player, whether it's a tackle, whether it's uh, an edge rusher, whether it's a cornerback, which brings us to my next point. Yeah. And I think that when you look at what happened around the league to, on Tuesday, and I wonder how it could affect, like everything that happens in the NFL could affect the Bears, could affect this draft. The Lions traded Jeffrey Okuda to the Atlanta Falcons for a fifth-round draft pick. Jeffrey Okuda is a cornerback who was a third overall pick a couple years ago. And he never lived up to his potential. He's from Ohio State. I think it's very early, unless there's things that I'm sure we are not privy to, but I think it's very early to give up on a cornerback you draft that high. So I wonder, the Falcons, don't they draft eighth right in front of the Bears? They do. They're going to be less inclined now to go after a cornerback because they have addressed that need, or in theory, I would think that would be the case. That may mean the Bears could be in a position to take the number one cornerback off the board. Maybe it's Devon Witherspoon. Maybe it's somebody else. How would you feel about that? Yeah, exactly. Well, Colleen Kane and I are in the process of, of putting together a very, very deep big board for the number nine overall pick. And right now it's 12 players long. And those two guys are on that list, Devon Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez, as guys who could make sense for the Bears with that pick if that's the direction they wanted Who's to go. Higher? Who's higher? Who do you hire right now? Witherspoon. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, I think I that – Well, no, I mean, Leo, I Colleen, know, is, I know. Colleen is also an Illini. I know. Um, but, but you talk to people around the league and you just – you you see the star potential in Witherspoon. And there, there's a lot of things to like about Christian Gonzalez as well in terms of the athleticism, the ability to play some press man coverage, to be a guy that that can can really give you some things outside as a cornerback. Um 
to your point, like one of the advantages of being this bad is that you can justify anything, you know, because you don't have ready-made difference makers at every position on the roster. Uh, you need more of them at every single position that you have. And so you can make a move in any direction you want to make it as long as you can explain it, as long as you can develop that player, as long as you have a plan then to, to pivot um, in other directions around that. And that's why I say like, it's really critical, particularly inside the walls there to not feel um, suffocated by day one of the draft, because you're going to have an opportunity here to play chess throughout the weekend and to move around at, at, at points on the board where, where you see fit and where you see value and, and try to put together a class of, you know, ideally 10 to 12 players that gives you something here. People think that the bears, you know, again, they'll make the first pick in round three. And at that point, they'll have four players in their draft class. There's a, a sense that all four of those guys can and probably should be starting in week one in September. You know, so if you're talking about adding four starters and, you know, essentially what it was it going to be like a, uh, you know, a, a 43 hour span or whatever it is at that point. That's a pretty big deal for this team. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I think that's why it's important for fans to go into this draft with an open mind and maybe, you know, the executives as well, but you're going to have to be in a position to be, uh, you can, you can look at it however you want people. I don't really care, but I just think that it'd be wiser for your own mental health and blood pressure to go in with an open mind. So you're not disappointed if they get to the podium and they pick somebody that you really, really are vehemently opposed to. They have so many needs that they can justify and rationalize anybody uh, again, short and even even the high risk guys that I mentioned that I might be, you know, wary of, they can justify because oh, of sure. the ceiling on a Jalen Carter or a Tyrese Wilson, somebody like that. There might be some risks involved, but the rewards in their minds are worth it. So, OK, let's wait and see. I am excited about the draft because I don't think the Bears can go up there and blow this. Now, it's early, but anything's possible. This is the Chicago Bears, but I just don't think they're going to do that this year. Well, it, it will take years before we know. Yeah, and what we do know is that, the, you know, that, that last weekend in April and the entire month of May and most of 2023 will be set, sort of viewed through the optimistic lens because that's just the way it works with the draft. You know, you, you always kind of feel the energy of that headliner of the class until he doesn't uh, – merit it anymore and it takes a while for, for players to not merit it and so there's going to be a lot of trumpets blaring about whoever they take because there's yeah. going to be reasons to blare Listen. those trumpets because it's going to be a really talented dude I'm a noted draft night trumpet player. I mean, I, <laughs> I was blaring for Kevin White because I thought, oh, my gosh, that when I got this guy, I got it caught up in the excitement. I was in downtown Chicago. The draft was there. They pick a guy that looked like, boy, he was going to be dynamic, and then look what happened. So I get the mentality. You get swept away in the enthusiasm. I don't know, Dan. I mean, you've been here 10 years. Have, can before, you remember, you move, before you move on from that, I think yeah. you got mad at me one year because of how high I was on Anthony Miller. So if you want, <laughs> if you, if you want to hear my draft. Oh, draft, oh draft wait a second. Hold on. Time out. You loved Anthony Miller. That's you, what I'm saying. Here's why the audience needs to know this. You loved Anthony Miller. You love that pick because you encouraged them to pick Anthony Miller. You wrote the pre-draft story on Anthony Miller. Then they pick him. You're like, oh, my God, I was right. I love Anthony Miller. And guess what? I was wrong. You were wrong. He, he, was, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't have been loved as much as I loved him. I was wrong about Kevin White, too. So, I mean, it happens. But you do get swept away with draft night stories or draft weekend stories that you're like, oh, geez, 
I could see that. Hey, going way back, you weren't here. You're were probably North Carolina covering basketball. I can remember writing a, an excited story on Dan Bazin when they drafted <laughs> him. Okay. So he, this is interesting. And I know I've teased this a few times. Next week, we'll get a chance to talk about this. Brad Biggs and I are, are, are analyzing all 151 picks that the Bears have made in the last 20 years. I love that idea. Dan, Dan Bazin is a guy I have no idea who it is. And I got there. I, I got to call Bigsy up. I'm like, what, 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 who is this dude? Suffice it to say that in our batting average calculus, he registered as an out uh, yeah. and he did, he did not register as a hit. That was a, uh, a Jerry Angelo pick. Correct? Yes. Jerry yeah, Angelo. I don't even know what year it was. It's just okay. like, who the hell is Dan Bazai? 2007 um, or eight ish, but this is an assignment for you for the pod and for the trivia. Oh man, we got an assignment. Go back. I did my homework. You need to do some too. I'm writing Go it back. down in my, Chandler's Tribune archives, the year Dan Bazin was drafted. <laughs> I wrote a very glowing profile feature story. However you want to describe it. He overcame something very, he overcame some personal adversity. If I recall, I wish I had the details. He was a Mac guy. So he was a mid American conference guy. <laughs> so, you know, that I had a soft spot for him hoping that he would succeed. He was a tremendous interview, a quality human being. He just wasn't a very good pass rusher. Before we move on, because I know you had another question to ask me, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit more because Colleen and Kane and I had this discussion today. Um, Rich Campbell, when he started at the Tribune, brought the idea of on draft weekend basically reaching out to the position coach at the college of every prospect that the team drafts. And you get a lot of really valuable insight. Uh, in those interviews, and you learn a lot more about the prospect the Bears drafted. It has since faded from – we're trying to, to discuss whether to revive it. My argument against reviving it is I had some terrific conversations over the years with the position coaches of Brock Vereen and Adam Shaheen that made these guys feel like they were going to be all pros in the NFL, baby Gronk and instincts like you've never seen before. And when those guys wash out of the team or the league in two or three years, you go – Oh God, you know, so I'll find the archives of those position coach interviews that I did with, with the position coaches of, of Brock Green and, and, uh, and Adam Shaheen. And we'll bring that with the Dan Bazine, uh, Bazine, 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 Dan Bazine. Yeah. <laughs> find somebody who looks at you the way a college position coach looks at a player a draft pick on draft weekend by the NFL <laughs> on draft weekend. It right? doesn't like, matter who it is. It those guys. Be yeah. A better time than to stand out on the front porch and, and, and blare the trumpets. Um, so anyway, that that's our, that's our tangent there. Uh, yeah. Good discussion. Good homework. I will get to that by the end of the week. Dan Bazine we'll was a second roll. round pick out of central Michigan in 2007. That was the, that, that was the I'm drunk with success draft. That was the we are too cocky for our own good draft. That was the I'm have faith in me draft, Lovey Smith. That you, was the you, draft. You want after the other the, names? Other names in 2007? Yeah, Greg Olson was the headliner. Yeah, of that Greg class. Olson was the, he drafted 30th because they were at the end of the first round. Dan Bazin was the next year. Um, no, same, same year. Then, then Garrett Wolf, Michael Okwo, Josh Beekman, Kevin Payne, Corey Graham turned out to be a great player uh, in, in comparison to where he was drafted. Tremaine McBride, Aaron Brandt. That was your 2007. Now, if you really want to get industrious and enterprising, I'm not your editor or your colleague at the Tribune anymore. But if you want to really do a good story, Josh Beekman, the guy that you mentioned in that draft class, college teammates with Ryan Poles. At Boston oh, College. There, there you, you go. go. Beekman was the center. I think Poles was one of the tackles or guards or wherever he played. I don't remember. But anyway, I think because it helped protect Matt Ryan. 
Yes, they did, because Ryan Poles was then uh, an undrafted free agent the next year, and I didn't write his story. I don't remember <laughs> him at all. I'm sorry. I wrote a lot of lo- I've written a lot of lousy draft stories over the years, but not his. If you had talked um, to his position coach that year, maybe you would have found out that he was a future exactly. executive in the league. <laughs> exactly. I talked to his dad instead, and dads are <laughs> never wrong. All right, real quick. The question I was going to ask you, can you remember in the 10 drafts or so that you've covered for the Bears – ever coming out of a first round pick. I know there are some years they didn't have one. The first yeah, pick that they've taken, the first pick that they've selected, and you felt like, oh, geez, this is not going to work. Oh, boy, this is a bad mistake. I, I, I dare you. I bet you haven't. I'm, I'm looking through it. Kyle Fuller, uh, Kevin White, Leonard Floyd. I will say I had some reservations, uh, not not great reservations, but about Leonard Floyd. Then Mitch, Mitch was 17. Um, and, and I remember writing on draft night of that year that one way or another, we're going to look back on this pick as, as a pivot point in the Bears organization. That was correct. That was I had learned my lesson at that point to not always uh, blare the trumpets and, and at least understand that that these guys may not work out. Roquan Smith, uh, David Montgomery, a third round pick in 19, Cole Komet, Justin Fields. Kyler Gordon. There's, there's, that, that's the, that's the list. So I, I remember having similar reservations with Leonard Floyd. You might have planted them in my head, I, for all I know. But uh, I, I have, I had some, I had some. They moved up to get him, if I recall, and I wasn't Correct. sure that somebody like that was worth moving up to get. And then, I, and it's easy to say now in retrospect. It's always easy to look back and say you should have done this or you should have done that. But and in full disclosure, I think you. I don't have to, it's no secret. I mean, the night that they traded up to get Mitch Trubisky, I applauded that as loudly as anybody because I felt like it was a move. You were sold by the Toyota Camry, weren't you? (laughs) I didn't care about the Camry. I did read your story, but I don't care about the Camry. I thought it was Ryan Pace, you know, establishing himself and finally doing something the Bears hadn't done in forever. It was that was moving up to get the quarterback they wanted. I was a Deshaun Watson guy. I wrote that morning in the paper. They should have taken him. Me God, too. I'm glad they dodged that bullet. But you know what I mean. So I think it was just surprised that he did that. I'm rambling. Two, uh, two quick Leonard Floyd nuggets before we move on. He was drafted the second year that the draft was in Chicago. I was at the Auditorium Theater waiting to talk to the Bears prospect in person that they drafted. Leonard Floyd didn't come to the draft that year. <laughs> he was back home in Georgia. So I had almost no work to do that night because there was no one to talk to. You know, the, uh, Leonard Floyd was made available on a conference call at Hallis Hall. I wasn't there. Uh, it was an, an odd night. The other one, uh, loyal listener to the Take the North podcast, Zach Zaidman, Loves this fun fact about Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd's dad name is Leonard Lloyd. <laughs> no way. Really? <laughs> 100%. Leonard Lloyd Floyd? Leonard, it's just Leonard Lloyd. And then, and then Leonard Floyd. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. That's crazy. Zach likes that nugget? Yeah, oh, yeah. Loves oh, that nugget. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah, I just remember being... I just remember being kind of nonplussed by the move and thinking, okay, I don't know if this is guy is going to be a, a successful NFL pass rusher. I also remember, I think the, the closest I ever came to poo-pooing a pick that was a high pick was, I remember when they picked Shea McClellan. This was Phil Emery. And Shea McClellan was coming. I, I loved the narrative. You know, I always fall in love with those a little bit. Chicken Dinner Road, and he came from <laughs> Idaho. All those things that made it a really good story. But I remember writing, like, why does Phil Emery, always feel like he's got to try to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, and, and that was that pick that epitomized that. It was like, what does he know that everyone else doesn't? And what are you doing reaching a draft pick, I think, number 19 overall? So that's about as critical as I can remember being on draft night because everybody wants to believe in something on draft night. It, everyone wants to feel like a position coach on draft night. 
In our comprehensive draft review, I will point out that a couple years after the Shea McClellan pick, the Bears selected Ego Ferguson, two selections <laughs> before the Green Bay Packers took a guy named Devontae Adams. Oh, that, that hurts. Ego, Ego Ferguson, one of the best, one of the guys on the all-name team. Yeah. Uh, he never really materialized. He was from LSU, wasn't he? Correct, yes. Yeah. Did, never really materialized. Is it Devontae Adams went after Ego Ferguson? Two, two selections later. That's a whiff for the ages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so fun draft stuff. Anything else that we uh, haven't necessarily covered in talking about all the kind of draft things to come? Because there will be plenty more conversation ahead. Yeah, new name. In Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, I think this is Mel Kuyper's fourth and penultimate mock draft. He'll do one more draft week, but he's got Darnell Wright to the Bears in this latest one. That's the offensive tackle out of Tennessee. The the logic now look, Mel has previously mocked Paris Johnson to the Bears, which is you know everyone is sort of assuming they'll pick off the Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones menu, but he thinks that Darnell Wright could be a guy that that you know, intrigues them as a guy who would play on the right side. He, he made 13 starts last season at Tennessee on the right side. If you feel comfortable enough to keep Braxton Jones on the left and you want to use a pick on the right side, that's a name that we haven't talked about at all during the pre-draft process. He pops up in Mel Kuyper's mock draft this week. I don't know that it means much, but I just figured I'd throw it out there uh, because it is a, a, a new prospect that that's being floated. His claim to fame is that Will Anderson called right. him the toughest uh, tackle. offensive tackle he faced in the SEC. That's high praise coming from the highest rated pass rusher in the draft. I don't know that I want to draft someone based on a compliment from a peer. <laughs> Possibly. But I don't know that that's the basis for it. The other thing is this. I don't know that I want to draft somebody because I'm falling in love with the idea of Braxton Jones at left tackle. I think right. that is settling for and, and lowering your standards. We also heard from Braxton Jones this week on CHGO. I think he told Mark Carmen that he would play right tackle. It is different, but he'd be willing to switch sides. So I don't want my entire draft board turned upside down or adjusted even to reflect the, the you know, because Braxton Jones will do this or we believe in Braxton Jones. You don't make a first-round draft pick decision based on a fifth-rounder success. All right. Well, you just took a, a healthy dump on Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, and that's 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 all we need to do. I just thought I'd throw it out there, but I'm glad you had a chance to, I'm just saying, that's to a, give your reaction to off it. Off the top of my head, that's exactly what I think about that one. I, maybe, look, he's a fine player, and maybe if the Bears move down now, if they move down, I don't think. Do you think he's worth the ninth overall pick? No. Over those other guys? No, no, I do not. I don't think it'll happen. It just yeah, it caught my attention. Um, it's another sort of uh, like illumination of how much time there is in the pre-draft process. Exactly. I always joke, we start doing these first mock drafts that, that get the most attention in January, and there's there's more time between that first mock draft and the actual draft than there is in the NFL regular season most times. You know, it just it drags out for so long that every every possibility and, and pivot point is, is addressed. One other little note, uh, Robbie Gold, former Bear, you might remember him well, Ooh, yeah. uh, entering his, his 19th season is uh, certain that he will play somewhere in 2023. He's still a free agent, uh, said on ESPN 1000 this week that he's got some offers out there. He is trying to figure things out. He would like to play closer to home. This isn't the first time that Robbie has kind of made that something that he would like to do. He has three boys, uh, is 
been tired of being on airplanes and is also trying to find a club that may not necessarily need him to come to OTAs. <laughs> when you're a father in your 30s, sometimes the OTAs seem kind of trivial and you can figure out how to work on your craft on your own and then figure out a way to be a dad and then show up when, when well, the lights come on during the regular I, season. I didn't hear that. I don't listen to that station. But um, <laughs> I will tell you that uh, that just made me think that there's a prediction here now that you told me what you just told me about Robbie Gold. Closer to home. Green Bay? No. Oh. He's going to end up in Detroit. Oh. He's going to end up in Detroit. And Money Badgley is going to be out of a job. And the Money Badger, is he still up there? Uh, I, well, I, the reason I brought this up is because, you know, there is intrigue, right? Cairo Santos still has one year left on his deal. I think he's got uh, a $3.5 million base salary for 2023. I think it would be I, a dead, dead cap hit of 1.5 if you got rid of him. I'm, uh, I'm on the record. Bring him, you, bring him back. It's Come interesting home, Robbie. because Robbie's exit occurred because the Bears were a little tight under the cap and had a clear room for Josh Sitton. And, and uh, you know, personalities clashed at Hellas Hall and off, the, off went the all-time leading scorer of the franchise. They got nothing but money. Coming out of their uh, out of their whatever at Alice Hall, and so now maybe the chance to 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 make a wrong right by going and spending some of that money on Robbie Gold. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I just uh, thought it why was why why not? Because I think that it would be negligent if they didn't at least make an offer or look into it. Because you need some you need certainty at every position, and he offers more certainty than anybody they've got right now. I, does he does he have history with Richard Hightower? I can't recall. Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think and, that and it maybe would make a little bit sense. Here. It would make sense. I would, I would promise, I would vow not to even piss him off this time around. I would try to be a good soldier with Robbie. I mean, we, we made up, he made up with everybody. He loves the Chicago media. Oh yeah. So he would, he would be, he's going to be a member of the Chicago media one day. I predict that this AM little was- entree and AM 1000 is going to lead to something somewhere because Robbie Gold's very good at everything that he tries. And so I, including I would be back to the bears, including golf. So Yeah. <laughs> We've spent way too much time talking about kickers, though. All right. I think he, I, he, he could end up in the Lions. I bet you he ends up with the Lions if he doesn't end up with the Bears. Putting it on your prediction list. Hey, by the way, Lions, last thought. They're going to get Teddy Bridgewater? Are, are they talking to him? That's a problem, Dan. Look, they are doing some really nice things in Detroit. I don't understand them trading Akuda. I really don't. But they do have a lot of talent there. And adding a guy like Bridgewater to back up Jared Goff after the season he had – that makes them really, really solid at quarterback. Well, look, I, the, the Lions have draft capital. The Lions have a bunch of picks in the top 100 in two weeks. The Lions have the potential to um, put some distance between themselves and the other the, the other challengers in the NFC North if they put together a great draft class. Uh, there's there's certain things to, to to worry about, but the biggest thing I'm worried about with them is what they do with all this draft capital in two weeks because they've got a chance uh, with their own picks and picks that they've gotten in other trades to to really really add some some talent and depth to a roster that's already uh, on the rise. Okay, so this week we talked about Dan Bazine, the homework the next <laughs> week. I gave you already. We're going to talk about Jerron Gilbert next time. I want you to figure out who he is and what his claim to fame was. Was he in the same draft as Joaquin Iglesias? <laughs> Very good. You've done your homework. I did, yes. Man, you are See, ready to we've roll. We've been studying this. We're studying yes. 20 years of Bears draft class. <laughs> Do you know? Okay, this is, we'll, we'll forget the tease. Do you know what Jerron Gilbert's claim to fame was? I have no idea. He jumped out of a pool. 
He's the pool. Oh, that's, he's the pool guy. He's the pool guy. Yeah, okay, I think I think Joe Webb, uh, who was with the Vikings, did the same thing once upon a time. Ron Gilbert uh, did it first, and then okay. he, really, that's about all. As, as a pass rusher, the Bears drafted in third round. He was a great pool jumper. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that what happens sometimes. Play. All right. Anything else before we wrap things up? Nope. Okay, good. We, I'm sorry I rambled. You lit the match. I just kind of let it go. Um, all right, so thank you. You can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page if you wish. You can listen to us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back later this week to recap everything else and do some more homework and check on Dan's latest Tribune project. You can find that all of the coverage at chicagotribune.com. You can listen to me on the Mullen Haw Show mornings 530 to 10. And Dan, that's one more thing before we say goodbye. Yeah, I was just going to say, after what you did to Mel Kuyper's mock draft, I had to light the match. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll end with that one. Thank you for Dan Weeder and Adam Sudzinski. I'm David Hall. We'll talk to you next time. Take the North.